Grace and peace to you from our triune God. Amen. In ancient Israel, up until the temple was destroyed in 70 CE, once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, that inner sanctum of the temple, to minister before God, to make atonement for all of Israel's sins. And he was the only one permitted to do this. And he'd only be in there a little while uh, and then would return to the people. They would await his coming out of the Holy of Holies to know that their sins had been atoned for in that year, that God would forgive and forget their sins. He'd enter the presence of God, offering the blood of sacrificial animals, the lifeblood of an animal for the destructive habits of human beings in order for the people of Israelite, Israel to be in right relationship with God. And the high priest would do this each and every year like clockwork, according to Israel's uh, liturgical calendar. And so it's with this in mind that I want us to hear again these words from Hebrews 9, 24 through 28. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again um, as a high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so Christ, through the cross, offered the most perfect sacrifice, his own blood, to make an atonement for the sins of all who walk the earth, those long dead, those living, and those yet to come. Because it was the perfect sacrifice, it needed only be offered once for all of time. And in this we see that Christ is both our high priest and the sacrificial lamb. He offered himself so that our sins might be blotted out from before God. It's in this sense, Christ is our high priest, that we can understand this notion of him coming again, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Just like the Israelites waited for the high priest to finish ministering before God in the Holy of Holies and to return to them so that they would know that all is well with them before God. So we too wait in eagerness for Christ, our high priest, to return from um, to return from God's presence so that we might be saved along with this world. With this, we're talking about Christ's ultimate victory over the forces of evil and destruction that plague our lives and our world. I know I've shared a little about my call with you before, and I'd, but I'd like to share with you a little more about my faith journey, if that's okay. After growing up in the church, being active in youth group and the music ministries of my church, off I went to Lowell, Massachusetts, 
to study sound recording technology at the University of Massachusetts Lowell. I was only there a semester, but man, I really, really struggled. I wasn't in a very good place. The city itself was struggling. There was rampant substance abuse, crime, the things that you would expect from a declining industrial center. I was over 500 miles from my faith community, and I really didn't make much of an effort to find a new one, if we're being honest. I began to feel at that time in life that there really wasn't a God at all. Life really just kind of felt random. There didn't seem to be a real purpose behind the existence of anything. It all seemed to be some accident that the atoms formed uh, in, a, in specific ways and in specific places in order for there to be an earth at all and for it to be in that zone that life could be uh, sustained and then for there to even be life at all. It just all felt random. It felt like an accident. And then if there even was a God, which I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure that it was the Christian God, at least not in the traditional sense. I, be, I befriended a philosophy major while I was out there, and in my uh, discussions with him late into the evenings, basically every night, uh, I encountered the ideas of a religious branch that kind of mirrored Christianity in, in many ways, and it's known as Gnosticism. And basically, Gnosticism says that there's a special knowledge that saves people. It's not just faith. And as an academic, I have to admit that this really appealed to me. Knowledge being the path of salvation. And so I began to think that Christ was simply some good teacher. Not God. That Christ didn't accomplish anything other than teaching us about a right way to live. Uh, and that there was some form of knowledge out there somewhere that would bring salvation. And all of this probably sounds pretty bleak, and I have to admit it was. But I'm here in front of you all as a provisional elder in the United Methodist Church to tell you that I was wrong. Praise be to God. Uh, I wish I could say that this, ha this change of heart, that me returning to the church that I knew, uh, happened overnight, but it didn't. It took years for God to speak uh, to me in powerful ways to correct my error in belief. Over the course of years, I found that the God I had learned about and worshipped as a kid um, really was beckoning me. God was real, and he was beckoning me to follow Christ bit by bit, even if it was... Um, Two step, one step forward and two steps back a lot of the time. And I have to admit that it really wasn't until I was in seminary that I could say with any degree of confidence that I am eagerly awaiting for Christ to return in victory. Prior to that, I was actually kind of terrified at that prospect. Um, but for me, the greatest victory is that I know that I'm still moving towards sanctification Again, even if it is one step forward and two steps back at times. And that God will welcome me with open arms when Christ returns. Because I know that Christ is at work in me, transforming me into the person that he 
needs me and wants me to be. But it's not just Christ returning in victory to save us that means victory for us. What God is doing in our lives amounts to victories along the way. For me, it's been this evolving belief in the importance of the sacraments of the church and how they're a means of grace for all of us. They bring us closer to God through Christ so that we might bear Christ to those in our lives. Or God might be doing other things in our lives, achieving these victories. It might be the subtle transforming experiences that help us to see the image of God in um, others, particularly people we don't agree with. Uh, It might be the ability and will to love others even when they're at their worst, even when we're at our worst. If you look at your life, could you tell someone the difference that Jesus has made in your life? Because that's where victory lies. That's where victory dwells. But it's not just in our own lives either. We exist as part of a community of faith. And sadly, far too many churches don't exist for those who haven't experienced victory in Christ. Sometimes churches can become social clubs or philanthropic organizations, though there's nothing wrong with social clubs and philanthropic organizations. But that's not the purpose of the church. The church exists to take the good news of Jesus Christ into the community in which it's located. Christ's victory over sin and death and the promise of his return should propel us out into the world to proclaim victory over the systems of death and destruction that seem to be absolutely everywhere. We as the church are responsible for embodying the good news of Jesus Christ to our community as Jesus himself would. There's no one else that's tasked with doing this important work. It's the church. So what might this look like for us here at Oak Chapel? And for us, it might look different than it did even a decade ago. The community around us has changed and is changing, and it always will be. There's 417 people, 30.5% of the population that's found in a a three-mile radius around this church that are 46 to 50 years old with with kids that are seven to nine years of age. And most of these people have lived in this area for 10 to 24 years. How might we show that Christ dwells in victory in this community for them? That Christ lived, died, and rose from the dead and will come again for them? Or the 191 people making up 14% of that same population around Oak Chapel that are 51 to 65 years old and have lived here for 15 to 25 years. How might we show them that Christ dwells in victory, not in some abstract way, but for each and every one of them? 
or the 155 people making up 11.3% of that same population who are now retired and are 66 to 76 years old or maybe even older. They, by and large, have been here for 20 years or more. Do we know who these people are? Do we know our neighbors? What might it look like for us to embody Christ's victory to them? As the folks at Discipleship Ministry put it, in a period of deep division and brokenness in our country, what difference does and could Jesus make? Where does the good news speak into the places that seem hopeless and lost? Do we live as if the weight and power of sin has already been taken away and that Jesus' sacrifice and love is available and intended for all people? I'm pretty confident that we all want to live as if the weight and power of our sin has already been removed. I hope each of you already lives such a life because it's true. Christ has accomplished that. And I'm incredibly hopeful that we want to share the hope of that same life with others, a life founded on victory through love. Particularly those who haven't set foot in a church door ever or in years, decades. But how do we get there? We pray each and every week the Lord's Prayer. And there's a specific line each week we ask of God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This isn't some far off remote request. It's a request that's ongoing and it's near to us. May God's kingdom come this day, even even in the small and seemingly insignificant ways. And continue tomorrow and the day after that and the days after that here in this place and in this community. I've seen God at work through plenty of people in my short time on this earth. Many of whom have encouraged me along this path that I'm on to ordained ministry. But I've also seen God work through you all during my short time here at Oak Chapel, through the various missions that you've supported, through the love you display to others, through your faithfulness to the church at large. I've seen God work, folks. But the work is never done. As we go about our weeks, let us be thinking, how is my life different because of Christ's victory? What would victory look like in the lives of the people in our community? How are we sharing and embodying the good news of Jesus Christ to those people around us? May we be totally open to God's movements around us as we discern what God is calling us to be and to do as we wait with eager longing for Christ's return in glory. Amen.